0: I love it. How many of you are excited to speak truth to power? Come on. That's not good enough. Let's try it again. How many of you are excited to speak truth to power? How many of you are excited about the philosophy and history of rights? It was actually better than I expected. So, let's see if I can get my slides rolling. There we go. The law and your rights. What I'm going to try and do is make this interesting for you. You have to know this. If you want to speak truth to power, you have to know the foundational philosophy of your own rights. So, you guys ready for that? All right. So, like Massey said, we've got to open our minds. We've got to forget everything we thought we've been taught about rights, about government, about law, about liberty. How many of you have heard freedom, liberty, freedom, liberty, liberty, freedom, all the time, and it's almost like it loses meaning? We're going to put the meaning back in there. I'm going to put it back in for you, and I'm going to build a structure around it so that you guys, when you hear the words rights, or you hear law, or you hear liberty, you have a good foundational conception to work from. You ready to get into it? Yes. All right. So, Declaration of Independence. We, we coined this as the greatest breakup letter of all time. <laughs> Dear King George, in front of everybody, the whole schoolyard, I'm breaking up with you. It's not me, it's you. Declaration of Independence was a letter with 27 grievances against the King of England. A lot of people will say, well, they just, you know, they decided they wanted to be free. They didn't really care. They were trying to remove themselves from an authority structure. I just said this on the podcast we were doing before we got here. It was 130 years of grievances and oppression built up. That they finally, with fear and trembling in their hearts, said, We can't do this anymore. They sent reconciliation letters, petitions of grievance, saying, Please stop, please back off a little bit, let's have a conversation. You know what the King of England did? He threw those letters away. And so they finally wrote the Declaration of Independence, said, We're done. I'm sorry, we can't do this anymore. So we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I want you to notice what I have in red, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Do you notice what it said there? Secure these rights rights the whole reason you have government that god ordained remember it said creator that god ordained government was to give you rights and protect your rights we have to understand this that the government is not there to just give you things it's not there to tell you well you can do this but you can't do that and well if you do this a certain amount of time we're gonna we're gonna have to throw you in jail for that and well we just give law the way we want when we see fit They're there to protect your rights. So how did the founders come to the philosophy of God-given rights? We have to understand, where did they get it from? They didn't come up with it out of cloth. So the Bible, Pastor Todd, is going to talk about God and government, the church's role in government. And I assure you, If you've come here today with the thought that, well, church and government should be completely separate, there should be no interaction, he has a couple of scriptures for you. (laughs) I will say this, I think his slides outnumber the number of slides Massey and I have on Saturday total. (laughs) A little bit of scriptural evidence. But the Bible actually provides a government structure for us. It talks about government structure. It talks about authority. John Locke had said that he referenced Scripture over 1,300 times. And John Locke is considered the father, philosophical father of the founding of America. You had Greece and Rome, which Greece considered kind of the birthplace of democracy. And Rome, they had a separation of powers, which we derived some of our government from. They, they had what was basically a, a president, and then they had a senate, and then they had a house, right? You'll notice that in parliament over in England, they have a house of lords and a house of commons. So if we say the lords are the, the professional politicians, what are the commons? The people. You notice the house of representatives? The people. Now, I, you guys mind if I go on a rabbit trail for a second? This may sound so nerdy to you, but I can't stand the 17th Amendment. I'm sure a lot of you are like, yeah, me either. (laughs) Right. 17th Amendment changed how you vote for your senators. Originally, your senators were chosen by your state legislatures. You know what they just did? They removed the ambassador for the state to the government. They put it in the people's hands, yet now it becomes popularity contest. Do you see what they did there? This whole interaction between the federal government and the states was supposed to be, let's keep each other in check. And so what they had was senators who they were the ones who were supposed to be the ambassador for the state legislature who picked them. So then they would come back and say, you did not do what we wanted you to do. We're getting rid of you. 17th amendment came out, which go figure, was right around the same time that the income tax was enshrined in the Constitution. It was a very progressive area. Notice what they're doing. They're taking away the system and trying to put more power in their own hands. They're trying to consolidate things. You are supposed to be able to keep them in check. We've all heard about the whole voting rights thing, all of that. Don't you notice? It's somehow, some way removes your ability to keep them in check. Let's get back into it. So the Magna Carta, we're talking about rights, the process of rights. The Magna Carta in 1215, this was a first attempt at a real compact. Notice this, under the threat of rebellion. So King John, he's fighting a lot of wars. He's getting himself in debt. All of a sudden, his barons come to him and say, if you want to fight another war with us, we got to come to an agreement here. And the Magna Carta, it actually failed But it's such a testimony to men standing up to the authority and saying, look, we'll, we'll figure this out, we'll serve, but we need conditions. And then you get into the English petition of right in 1628. This pointed out a breach of law to King Charles I. You notice what's going on? You are allowed to point out where the authorities over you are getting it wrong we've decided we need to be silent. They can just tell us what they need to, and we'll just do it because that's the good American way. The good American way is to hold your representatives, to hold your leaders responsible. And what do you hold them to? The constitution. This petition of right, this point out, the breach of law included taxation without consent, No imprisonment without cause, no quartering of soldiers on subjects, and no martial law in peacetime. Some of those may sound familiar. You've got the Massachusetts Body of Liberties, 1641. This is 94, 94 liberties. It was written by Nathaniel Ward, a Puritan. And you notice what I have on there, built on the law of Moses and English common law. He combined the law of Moses and English common law, and he brought it together to say, these are 94 things you are not allowed to touch. Then there's the English Bill of Rights, 1689. This was written to conclude the Glorious Revolution, which deposed James II and installed William and Mary. So normally when a king gets deposed, he doesn't get sent to a beach to have my ties for the rest of his life. What they did was Parliament went to William and Mary and said, you're going to sign this. And William and Mary went, that guy? Yeah, give us a pen. We'll sign. That's fine. They knew, okay, we've, we've got to adjust things here. We've got to be willing to work with the people. This included right to petition, freedom of speech, redress of grievances, and it restored gun rights to Protestants. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's fine. (laughs) You may not know that. When James was in charge, Catholics could own guns. Protestants, their gun rights were limited. Oh! You have a right to a firearm. You have a right to defend yourself, and we're going to get into why that's so true, because I think sometimes we get it all mixed up in our heads when the media is telling us, well, we just, we need to have sensible gun control, sensible gun laws. You know what's sensible to them? Nobody except the authorities owns a firearm. And then all of a sudden, coercion and force become extremely easy for a tyrannical government. We've got the Virginia Declaration of Rights, which actually helped inspire Declaration of Independence and the Declaration, or the Bill of Rights. There we go. Maybe? Yeah, there we go. All right, I want you to notice the words that I have highlighted. It has been objected also against a Bill of Rights that by enumerating particular exceptions to the grant of power. It would disparage those rights which were not placed in that enumeration, might follow by implication, that those rights which were not singled out were intended to be assigned into the hands of the general government and were consequently insecure. This is by James Madison. It's word salad because these guys are extremely intelligent. Enumerating, we are going to get into what that word means, but basically what I said is, look, people have said, don't have a bill of rights, because if you write them down, anything you don't write down, government will think they control. Is that not true today? All of a sudden, they're telling you, well, we can control domestic travel. Ooh, it's not in the bill of rights. So you must not have a right to travel. That's a hard pill to swallow for me. I like driving. I don't like flying, but I want the right to fly. Enumerated means written. What he was saying was if you write these down, think about speech, religion, press, trial by jury. Unenumerated means not written. It's not written down. Think travel, association. That's actually not in there, the word association. Wearing a coat when it's cold. You have that right. Although in Florida, you don't really have to worry about that. I'm from Michigan where we fight for that right. (laughs) So, So I'm going to take a new segment. They're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. This means they cannot be transferred. They cannot be given away. They are given to you by God. And so therefore, they are yours and nobody else's. Continues that among these, in other words... Among these three that are listed, there are others. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These are rights. Rights are not dictated to you. They are defended. Think about that. I'm going to say it one more time. Rights are not dictated to you. They are defended. Defend your rights. Do not let anybody determine or dictate to you what you can or cannot do under certain circumstances I have for you in a second. All men by nature are equal. In that, equal right that every man hath of his natural freedom without being subjected to the will or authority of any other man. Being all equal and independent, no one, ought to harm another in his life, health, liberty, or possessions. You notice the line he drew. You can't harm each other. You can't infringe on each other's rights. That's the line he drew. And it's an important line to draw because it gets into this idea of negative rights and positive rights. Let me put this little drop for you. Abortion's a right... You've heard that. Now, it's funny. They don't say my body, my choice much anymore because they want vaccine mandates. So let's, let's get rid of that idea, right? There's even, you may not be able to see it, but there is even a sign held up in this picture. Abortion is a human right. Ooh. Right? Now, I'm, I'm going to set aside the idea of murder for a second, Okay? Let's at least consider two individuals. You have two heartbeats. How many humans do you know with two heartbeats walking around normally? We all have one heart. DNA within days is different than the mother's. Blood is circulating and floating by, I think, it's 21 days. It is a different life. Now, negative rights... A right that does not obligate someone to do something or provide something. A negative right is something that you can do on your own and achieve with yourself. Think opportunity. That's really what a negative right is. It's an opportunity. Nobody will infringe on your opportunity or ability for life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, freedom of speech, Notice that, the First Amendment. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of press, freedom to petition. None of those ask anything of anybody else. It's yours. You choose how to do it. Now let's go to positive rights. This is a right that can obligate another to do something or provide something. You hear that? They can obligate you to do it. Think about this. Medical treatment. If I have a right to medical treatment, that means I can force you to give it to me. If I have a right to housing, it means I can force you to give me your house. Now let's go to the death of an individual. Do I have the right to demand the death of an individual? No. So how is abortion a right? I can't ask that of them. I can't ask that of anybody. I have no right to ask the death of another person. This is not a right. Do you see now the difference? And when they confuse you, they try to confuse you because, well, you have a right to health care. You have a right to housing. As soon as they dictate it to you, they can take it away from you. Do not allow them to dictate it to you. So life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We tend to think this is a foregone conclusion. Liberty is, well, yeah, of course, a right. Right? Notice the Fifth Amendment no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. It's enshrined in the Bill of Rights that your rights cannot be taken away from you unless the government, through due process of law, can prove to you that you have broken the law and therefore deserve to have some right taken from you. Private property. I want to throw this in here because we don't tend to think about private property, but it's so important to know this was one of the key factors for John Locke. I've got Karl Marx here. I figure I'd draw a little contrast. Um, he just looks like he smells bad, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's kind of a shot. <laughs> I've got to going on inside, side. I know i got eight minutes, but there's a Prussian spy report about Karl Marx, and they're basically like, this guy's house is trashed, the place smells, the guy doesn't bathe, we don't know what's going on. Like, did he let I've got a presentation on Marx. it's very interesting, when you look at his life, who he was, and the fruit he produced, you look at the philosophy that he produced, good fruit cannot come from a bad tree He says, in one word, you reproach us with intending to do away with your property. Precisely so, that is just what we intend. He also said, communism can be summed up in a simple sentence, the abolition of private property. Now let's look at Thomas Jefferson. To take from one, because it is thought that his own industry and that of his father's has acquired too much in order to spare others, who... Or whose fathers have not exercised equal industry and skill is to violate arbitrarily the first principle of association, the guarantee to everyone of a free exercise of his industry and the fruits acquired by it. Which one speaks to you more? John Locke, every man has, a, now this is a, a complex sentence, but hear it through. Let's parse this out. Every man has a property in his own person. This nobody has any right to but himself. You have the right to yourself. Nobody else has that right. The labor of his body, your own labor, the work of his hands, the things you produce, we may say are properly his the great and chief end, therefore, of men's uniting into commonwealths and putting themselves under government is the preservation of their property. Notice, he's not just talking about your farm and your mule, he's talking about yourself. Government is there to preserve yourself, your rights. It is to defend you against others who attempt to infringe on your rights. And we will get into the different levels and structures of government. Federal government was not meant to determine your daily affairs. They were meant to look outwards. And I've got proof. I've got quotes, man. I've got quotes. For days. Quotes for days. And I've got a slideshow that's moving slow. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. What he's just said is their powers are derived from your consent. Your government, from the bottom to the top, gets their power because you consent. Does that not blow your mind? You've been told so long, well, we give you this and we have the power and we'll hand this to you. This just said, it's your rights, your power, you are the one who determined you can do this, you cannot do this. It's your consent. Once we understand this, we look at running for government or being a politician completely different. All of a sudden, you're defensive for your people. Not trying to get enriched. Not trying to expand your power. Not trying to get a career out of it. You're there for your neighbor. To defend your neighbor's rights. James Madison said in the Virginia Resolutions, in case of a deliberate, palpable, and dangerous exercise of other powers not granted by the said compact, Constitution, the states who are parties thereto have the right and are in duty bound to interpose for arresting the progress of evil. He did not just say, Well, they're encroaching on our freedoms. He did not just say, Well, we're we're gonna expand legislation to help you. He said, This is evil. This is evil. When they try to encroach, it is evil and it is the state's duty to stand up and stop it. That is why we need state governments. So, the relationship between law, liberty, and rights. John Adams said, I would define liberty to be a power to do as we would be done by. Do you hear the golden rule in that? Beautiful, right? He says the definition of liberty to be the power of doing whatever the law permits, meaning the civil laws does not seem satisfactory. Man, he undersold that. He totally undersold that. And there's a reason I say that. Thomas Jefferson, he's a little more feisty. He says, rightful liberty is unobstructed action according to our will within the limits drawn around us by the equal rights of others. I do not add within the limits of the law, because law is often but the tyrant's will, and always so when it violates the rights of the individual. I love this quote. I hold this quote on my heart. I glory in publicly avowing my eternal enmity to tyranny. I fight for myself, I fight for my neighbors, I fight for my family, I fight for future generations. I am so sick and tired of tyrants determining for me and my family and my neighbors what's good and right for us. That's taking the position of God. All of a sudden you've determined to become my conscience. I won't let it stand. Right? I have one last quote for you. This is a long one. C.S. Lewis, he's that guy that makes you feel stupid and you're happy about it. <laughs> right? You get done reading him, you're cross-eyed, but you're like, somehow I got filled. <laughs> could have been Spanish, could have been Japanese, but it still works, right? I want, actually, I want to do this. I want all of you to close your eyes and I'm going to read this to you. Of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. Right. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep, his cupidity may at some point be satiated, but those who torment us for our own good will. Torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. They may be more likely to go to heaven, yet at the same time likelier to make a hell of earth. This very kindness stings with intolerable insult. To be cured against one's will and cured of states which we may not regard as disease is to be put on a level of those who have not yet reached the age of reason or those who never will, to be classified with infants, imbeciles, and domestic animals. Puts it in a whole different perspective, doesn't it? It's not just about a tyrant oppressing you. It's about a moral busybody who thinks they're doing good by telling you what you can or can't do. I want you guys to hold that in your hearts as you go through this conference. It's not just the robber barons we have to worry about. It's those moral busybodies. Amen. Thank you very much, guys.
1: Folks, I got 10 minutes. And uh, I promise you, I'm going to get this done. I, I thought it important. And I know, how many of you guys have ever heard self-evident at an event or uh, speak myself or mike or whoever okay cool um look this has been eight years running uh that we started this and what it was was i was a young guy who became a christian and i was going into schools when i was in another ministry i was in in a christian heavy metal rock band to some of you that may be an oxymoron but it wasn't to me Um, I got this really cool tattoo out of the deal, uh, which I grew up very Pentecostal, and it was against all that. My mom said my arm was going to fall off because it was going to rot, all those things. And so (laughs) I remember in 2004, we kept hearing that phrase that he just mentioned, separation of church and state. And I remember asking God, I said, Lord, you didn't tell me to go preach the gospel to every creature except public schools. And I remember I asked him, I said, what does this mean? And someone handed me a video from David Barton. Original intent, America's Godly Heritage. Changed my life. I thought, dang gum, I got to preach that. So then I started taking courses, a constitution course. By a ministry called Institute on the Constitution. I was their vice president for two years. They're in Maryland. Um, and they couldn't afford me because I'm that good. I'm kidding. They couldn't afford it. So I had to move on. We created Self-Evident after that. But I've been teaching those courses since 2007. I've taught state representatives. These courses, federal representatives. Listen, federal representatives have taken this course. It's pretty junky when your federal representative doesn't understand what they're up there for. Imagine having a pastor that doesn't understand the word of God. What? That's what's been happening. And as we get into this, why we created this whole thing was for a reason. I think more and more as we do this, as I continue to go on, I think there's a reason why we need to stand. Why self-evident is created. Self-evident, if you even know the name, actually means duh. (laughs) We hold these truths to be duh. (laughs) Duh. Self evident. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a known truth. To the founders, it wasn't even a question that God existed. It wasn't a question that God created us with rights. What leg did they have to stand on against the, the, the King of Britain without God? Do you think the King was going to listen to a man? No. They said, King, you are not above God and you've assented yourself above God, which was the first injury in the Declaration. And they said, You don't have the authority to do it. And we're standing here telling you, You don't have the authority. We're going to get lit tonight, folks, because Daniel Webster said, hold on, my friends, to the Constitution and to the republic for which it stands. He said miracles don't cluster. They don't happen every day unless you come to revive. They don't happen every day. He said "And what has happened once in 6,000 years may not happen again. Listen to that biblical worldview. 6,000 years. He said hold on to the Constitution for if the American Constitution should fail, there will be anarchy throughout the world. And what's happening now? If America is not the light of the world, guess what falls? The world. Why are people coming here from other nations? Because there's something special about this place. And it's not the land of America. It's the idea of liberty given to us by God. So what's the purpose? We talked about this a little bit before. Holding these truths to be self-evident. God creates me with rights. This is where I want to get to. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That line is the first and only time the word governed is used. It says we, the people, by the consent of the people, the authorities from the people. But this is the first time the word governed is mentioned. Why would it mention the word governed? Governed by what? Their creator. Can anybody truly be moral without a moral compass above them? John Adams actually said, I fear the day when I leave this office. He said, I fear more the day when I meet my creator. He said, because he will hold me accountable for what I've done on this earth. That was the second president of the United States, by the way. It says the consent of the government that when any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, going against life, liberty and pursuit of happiness and property, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and institute new governments. This was Thomas Jefferson's greatest penmanship, I believe. It was to say, look, you're not God. And you know what? Because you want to be tyrannical, and you know what? It was John Knox that said, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Listen, the whole purpose of this conference is not just to get you excited. It's to get you active. It's to say this—that anybody, any one of us in this room, can run for office. Do you know why? Because I care about what God gave me, and He gave me kids. And did you know that those kids, I pray to God, have their own little fat heads someday, and that those little fat heads are going to make me happy. But what nation are we going to leave to our kids? What are we going to do and leave in their place? And I think about people in past. They always tell me, you know, we dropped the ball, Mass. We dropped the boat. So what? Let's pick it up together and start running because our kids are at stake. (laughs) Amen? You guys didn't know the British Empire had over a half a billion people under its command. Do you know that King George had 13 million square miles? I've done this message before. I'm kind of going piece by piece here. He had the rule of 13 million square miles. And we had 13 little colonies. Do you know America's population at the time was 3 million people? I'm going to ask you a question. Were the founders perfect? I find it funny that the left, as they call them, or the liberal will say, the Christians put the founders on a pedestal. I never one time said they were perfect. Why are you condemning what they say? I think it's you putting them on a pedestal. You're trying to give them moral guidance and moral high ground, and they're not even alive anymore. I find it funny when you see CRT taught, the 1619 Project. And we're condemning governments of past. And we're saying how terrible they were while we slaughter 65 million babies. Well, we condemn the white man for being white. Telling people you can't talk because of your skin color. Isn't that reverse racism? And you know what's so crazy? Nowhere in scripture do you see racism. You never see any kind of mention of race. He created us all. Thank you. If you look at just scripture alone, it'll teach you that God here created us. He created us male and female, but he didn't create me a Mexican. Amen. I'm just Mexican because I'm awesome. <laughs> I'm actually an American. You know what's funny? You know what would end racism in this nation if we all practice this? There's no such thing as an African American. There's no such thing as a Hispanic American. There's no such thing as a Caucasian American. We are all Americans in this United States. That would end racism in a minute. Wouldn't it be crazy, Brother Rick? There's Pastor Rick. He's actually the pastor over our uh, 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 staff and things like that here at Revive. Wouldn't it be crazy, Brother Rick, if I came up to you and said, hey, my name's Massey, I'm a Mexican Christian. You said to me I'm a white Christian. I'd be like. Isn't he my brother in Christ? Yeah. Yeah. Jenna, we're created equal. You're my sister girl. You're my homie. I love that girl. Go check out her table. Yeah. This woman stands for liberty. Yeah. She does. And we should honor that. But we are united for one reason. <laughs> Here we are, three million people in six percent. Do the math. Six percent of America fought against a superpower. When we didn't have an army, we didn't have a navy, we didn't have standing armies. Matter of fact, the standing army was against us. The colonists. And I say us because you know what? I'm grafted in the vine. My parents came here in the 60s and became citizens. They did it the right way. Okay? So I'm grafted in. I'm an American. So I love these talks. But here we are talking about the influence of the British Empire. And then we have Bulletproof George Washington and here's the reason. Because in America, we took 6% of 3 million people, went up against a superpower, and God delivered them to us. Are you hearing me? Yes. That He took 6% of 3 million against a half a billion people with Navy, with Army, with military, with bombs, and we won. Who did that? This is why I'm telling you that we don't need a majority. Every time I hear it, oh man, we don't have the numbers. Tell me a scripture in Bible where God used the majority to win his battles. You tell me where God didn't intervene when we didn't have a chance. God intervenes when we don't have a chance. It's almost like this. God set this up. Here's why. Because he let us eat the fruit of our own ways. Right? But he's always willing to let us repent of it. Oh, man. He's there to protect us. You have Bulletproof George Washington. If you don't know the story, he was 22 at the time and he was fighting for the Redcoats. such a crazy story, the more I think about it, how crazy it is. He actually wrote to his his cousin after this and he said, I've heard news of my death, but it hasn't happened to me yet, you still have me for many more years, (laughs) right? But here's what happened, an Indian chief saw him and he ordered his 12 men to fire at a point-blank range. Fire after fire. One of his Indian tribe men, he said this, I had 17 fair fires at him, yet I couldn't take him down. Point blank. Couldn't take him down. Four horses shot out I'm sorry, two horses shot out from under him, and he had four bullet holes in his coat. And he didn't die. And then it was that chief that came back. It was almost 20 years later, he was with his doctor. George Washington was Dr. Craig. And the Indian chief began to prophesy over Washington. He said this man is the chief of nations people who are yet unborn will know this man as the founder of a mighty empire He said may the divine protection of the great spirit protect him all of his days The miracles what could one person do it was george washington there was nothing special about the guy Right, he was just one man Ironically, he was in war after war after battle after battle after battle. If you read a story, and he died of pneumonia because he forgot his coat and it snowed one day. <laughs> and our science people blood blood they bloodlet him. Do you guys know what that is? Where they would leak the blood out because that's where the sickness was, was in the blood. That they didn't read scripture that life and death are in the power of the blood. Life is in the blood. Not life and death, life is in the power of the blood. <clears throat> Let's continue. You know, tomorrow, it's going to be a good day. we got Representative Anthony Sabatini coming. That, that, my friends, is a standard of liberty in this state. He's a good guy. I like him. What's funny is, I don't really care how, how popular people are. I've always said this. I've never cared about how popular people are because I've done that. You know what I mean? Like when you're starstruck. One day I realized, these representatives work for me. Why am I giving them a pedestal? They work for us. Amen? He's just a man. But you know what I love about him? It wasn't his popularity. It was the fact that that dude stands by every word he says, so his words carry weight. He's got a testimony of what he's saying. That's why we wanted him here. We've also got other candidates that are going to speak about how you can run for public office. Why do we want you to do that? I'm going to ask you a question. If you guys know anything about history of faith, how many men and women became martyrs for the faith that we know as Christ or God? How many martyrs took to their graves? How many of our founders fought, bled, and died for the liberties that we have in this nation? How many of them were willing to give up everything to say, you know what? It's worth discomfort so that my kids could be free. Thomas Paine once said, it was a quote about kids and I forgot it. He said, if there be trouble, let it be in my day so that my child may have peace. If there's trouble, let it be in my day so that my kids can go ride their bikes. They can go enjoy some things. But I will teach them about liberty so they don't fall into this mess again. Amen? Why do we want you to come back? Why do we want you to run? How many of you guys are willing to say finally in your heart, draw a line in the sand and say, I'm willing to go through the discomfort so that I know that when I die, my kids won't call me a coward. How many of us are willing to go that far to say, I'm done with my life? And guess what? Some of you, those of you who are Christians in the room, when you became a Christian, your life was not your own anymore. You're bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself. We just heard scriptural references of how men of old, women of old, got involved in government and God showed up in big ways, right? Where there was no hope. It's almost like when it's hopeless, and I hear a lot of conservative podcasts out there talking about how hopeless it is out there. They've never met my God. They've never. You can tell me all day long how the world governments are coming against us. You can tell me all this stuff. You know what? God delivered us once. He can do it again. Let's not hide behind the crutch of Jesus coming back because we don't know when he's coming back, right? How about let, us find, let him find us busy in his service, huh? How about let them find us busy protecting our children from pedophiles in office, because that's happening right now. Huh? How about we protect our kids from school boards who are trying to destroy their faith in God and in their parents. How about we stand up in our states and say, no more federal government telling me what to do because I have autonomy over my body because God gave it to me. How about we get the federal government out of the church's business once and for all. How about it's time to show parents that you're the ones that are supposed to raise your kids, not a school board? How about it's time that we see the church take five loaves and two fish and go feed the poor instead of letting government waste money the way that they do? This is why you come back. Tomorrow's going to be an awesome day. It's going to be from 9 to 4. We want you to be a part of it. There's a reason we're developing this because this is so rare, and I'm being honest with you. There will be churches whose pastors go out and speak on their own. This is, this is something new where a church is now standing and saying, I don't care about my 501c3s. I don't care about anything. I don't care about people arresting us. We're going to do what's right before God, and he will deliver us. Now's the time. Now's the time. Amen. Amen. So if you don't mind, all these tables back here have these candidates that are going to come up and speak tomorrow. I'm so blessed that they came. If you all have never met Darlene, she is a fireball. Darlene is awesome. Where's Sue? Sue Trombino, Women Impacting the Nation. That little girl in white. She's, yep, I'm going. Melissa Martz. is is represented here. She was just on our podcast. If you haven't gone and seen that, which is a shameless plug, Self Evident Podcast, theselfevidenttruth.com, go check it out and subscribe. She was on our podcast and kicked butt. She understands liberty. She doesn't care about personalities or governments. She cares about liberty. Praise God. We need more people like that. Huh? where they're not involved, and saying, oh my gosh, if we elect that guy, he'll fix everything. Folks, that one guy, Method, has what's put us in this place. Listen, Trump ain't going to get you out of your problems, folks. I'm sorry. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. That's called idolatry, folks. Let's get real. I'm not against him, but we put our faith in one man. Watch what God's going to do and let us eat the fruit of that, and he's done it. It's in we the people. We're going to do those messages tomorrow. You're going to hear countless messages that we're going to do. 15 minutes apiece, we're just going to bless you with awesome godly information. It's going to penetrate your heart and say, you know what? I'm going to do this thing. It's up to me now. And you know what? If you're thinking in the stands right now, maybe it's not me. Oh, it's you. (laughs) It's the ones who say, Jen, isn't it true? When you said to me that one day, you said, I didn't, I wasn't even thinking about it. I just thought, I got to do something. She's She's just a mom right, had a job, all these things, her husband right here, uh, he he was in the military, God bless you, sir, thank you for what you did for our country, and she thought, I'm a mom that has to do something, and she did, wasn't it true that your daughter stood up against the school system with her, she took her mask off, she wouldn't wear a mask, your daughter, (laughs) okay, all that to say this, tomorrow from 9 to 4, come back, there's going to be awesome stuff, but I want to leave you with this: It doesn't take a majority to prevail, but it takes you to take God's word and apply it, and watch Him move in your life. Amen. Amen. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for this night. <clears throat> we bless the message is preached. My wife's coming up here in a minute. Lord, I pray that everything we said here, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you redeem the time. Lord, you redeem your word. God of Moses, you would teach us what it takes to have courage, even though we don't have it, to remove our excuses. God of David, that we would be men of war, women of war. You would teach our hands to war and our fingers to fight. God of Jeremiah, you would teach us how to use our mouths, Father, and speak your word. God of Isaiah, Lord, you would teach us to be those silver-tongued prophets and give the word of repentance and say, kings are not God. That we would be like John the Baptist, not afraid to say what needs to be said. Oh, Lord, that we'd be like a Paul, and we'd stand in the gap for the churches, pray for them, and honor them, and lift them up. We bless you, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Come on up.